is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> <sighs> Kia and welcome to episode 203 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How are you, pal? Kia Dan. I'm really good. How are you? I am good. It's a, it's a big week. It's Super Bowl week. It's Valentine's week. It's it's all the things. All the things are happening. Big week. I want to talk to you about Super Bowl, Dan, as well, but not okay. actually about the football, but about the other things. Okay. Hit me. I didn't watch the game, and I'll be honest with you, I used to, I tried about four times in a row, watch the game, kind of just because a bunch of people were, and I was like, I was trying to be social and, you know, social in me doesn't tend to work out too well and the Super Bowl didn't help. But I feel like in the past, we used to get real big movie trailers or TV drops or whatever, and it used to be quite exciting and that would be the event for me combined with like a, a hot dog or something. But now the coverage in New Zealand, the adverts don't even um sort of uh, what's the word feed through the US or the North American feed of adverts so you just end up watching adverts for Briscoes or whatever and and B what they did play in the states this year and I don't want to steal your thunder for the news desk but there wasn't anything massive I wanted a bit more yeah interesting so this year for the first year ever in my life I actually watched the Super Bowl um, and when oh. I say watch, when I say watch it, it was kind of like a, a passive watch. You know, I kind of I put it on in the background and had a few meetings coming and going, so I was sort of like not intently watching it. But um, and I've got to say, I I love the experience. I have absolutely like zero idea about what was it like about how the plays work and what's going on. Like like I just I just knew nothing about it. But I I kind of felt like I was just in in the hype of the of the Super Bowl. But I'm I'm with you. Um, I was kind of excited to experience it, even though watching it on um, TVNZ Channel Channel One here in New Zealand, um, I thought the the halftime show with Usher was like pretty lackluster. And then I'm with you on the trailers; like we didn't get half of them, so I sort of found myself. And we'll go through the trailers on the news desk, but I found myself having to go to YouTube to kind of go through them. Mm. And I feel like. We largely knew about all of them. Like, you know, like, because I'm with you, like, normally you hear about Super Bowl and it's just like mic drop, mic drop, mic drop of like new trailers, new content. But there was no real kind of surprise to to any of it in terms of the, the entertainment space, I guess, which is a little bit disappointing. I feel like someone at Disney or, I don't know, I'm just going to go after Star Wars because it's an easy one, but someone must have been sitting there watching everything, and at the end of the day, one of the marketing staff must have gone, we could have stole the show today. If we just dropped a 20-second teaser for The Acolyte or for you know whatever else is on, you know, on, on the horizon, anything, we could have been the biggest mm. news story in terms of uh, the Hollywood side of things. But um, but I'm still fascinated that you you watched it because it was – I, I didn't even know. Someone told me it was the 49ers versus KC, and I was like, who's, who's KC? I had to f- sit there and figure that out. But um, it's Look, as, as a Taylor Swift fan, you've, you've got to get up on the on the play with this, right? So yeah, like, first of all, right. you know, obviously um, Taylor Swift goes out with um, 
Travis Kelsey and there was that big uh, hoopla because obviously she's doing her errors to a concert over in Tokyo. Could she make it back from Tokyo to Las Vegas in time for the game? Yes, she can. The, you know, all the math and calculations been done on this. Um, and just I, I think I kind of got like hooked up in that sort of like the hype of that. And then there was obviously lots of sort of um, – you know, the camera kind of panning to Taylor and her crew and just, I don't know, I kind of, I felt like, like I, as I said, like I've never watched really any NFL in my life. I, I don't understand any of the rules, but I was hooked in. I was like a Kansas City Chiefs, like, super fan for an afternoon, and I just had a great time, like, and it really did come down to the wire. Like, I was, like, literally, like, screaming at the TV, like, and I was... Amazing. Like, I, I felt a moment of pride when, um you know, because they won literally in the last three seconds so it was a incredible game even though i have no clue of the rules uh or what was going on i would have watched if there was an alternate commentary with you commentating because that would have been entertaining um so it's interesting good that, good that your team won um but this 2024 dan swimming in the ocean started watching nottingham forest in the premier league now watching the the super bowl it's uh it really is new year new dan I think I'm just entering the the next phase of my life, Paul. Like I'm, I'm settling down. I'm getting into sports. I'm I'm finding new communities. Uh, I'm getting out and about. I'm getting my my summer tan on. Um, and look, I I wouldn't say that the Kansas City Chiefs are, are my team, but I I sort of got I got hooked up, and I could see myself a little bit like my. Um, Nottingham Forest, like I, I would like to back a team and kind of like go on a bit of the journey, but I I feel like there's so much to learn uh, with NFL, whereas at least with like football or, or rugby or whatever, like you can kind of like without even really knowing the rules, like you can kind of get a sense of what's going on. But I feel like just with NFL, there's so many plays, there's so many different rules, mm-hmm. there's some amazing personalities. My, my TikTok feed is just filled with NFL stuff now. The, the algorithm's right. truly working. I, I'm, I'm deep in. It's going to be like one of these things that progressively over the next three podcasts, you know, next time you'll come in with a t-shirt and then by sort of three weeks down the line, you'll have the full gear helmet and the face paint and everything. So um, well, already, I would say in the last kind of like, because I was kind of like passively kind of like watching the kind of the build up. Um, I'm, I'm sort of turned into quite a big fan of, um, uh, God, it's, it's, I'm, I'm blanking on it literally as I'm saying it. Um, Travis and his brother, God, why can't I think of it? They've got a, the New Heights podcast, um, and okay. like they they have a, so much great banter on it. And I've kind of been listening to that for probably the last sort of four months, and it's it's, it's a really great time. Um, I completely lost my train of thought of where I was going with this, but it's um, yeah, no, look, it's 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 oh. good. It, it's good stuff. I had a really good time watching the game. I would I would actually love to next year maybe watch it socially. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I, I probably need to pick a team. Um, oh, actually, that's where I was going. Now that I've waffled, oh, this is what I do at work, Paul. If I'm like, if I'm in a meeting, I'll just like, yeah. I'll just drift off into something, and then it'll, it'll come same. back to me eventually. Absolutely the same. So Patrick Mahomes, like he is the the captain of the of the Chiefs. Like he's got he's got such an awesome personality as well, and so I'm seeing lots of that sort of come through, particularly in sort of social content. So. Yeah, look, maybe maybe I do like sports. You know, it's taken me like seven billion years, but it's um, there's something something clicking for me. Amazing, Paul. I have waffled on long enough. What have you been watching this week? Yeah, let's get down to it before this podcast ends up being as long as a Super Bowl final. So, um, 
I have five movies to talk about this week, and anyone who's now rolling their eyes worried how long I'm going to talk for. I was going to do these individually, but then I thought, and then I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a couple each pod. But in the end, I decided this feels like a one-stop shop. And so this is all five of the original Superman movies. So all the way from the original Superman 1978, uh, Superman 2 in 1980, Superman 3 in 1983, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace in 1987, and Superman Returns in 2006. And whilst that fifth movie, Superman Returns, is a different actor playing Superman Clark Kent, the story reflects the same iteration of of that Superman and Clark Kent that appeared in the Force. So collectively, they sort of reflect a five-film anthology. And I'll tell you what, after the travesty of the fourth film, it's just as well they rounded it out with a fifth. So, um, so yeah, so this has been sort of on my mind for a while in terms of I haven't watched all of the Supermans in a long time. When was the last time do you think you watched these movies, Dan? Uh, well, I'd probably have to separate them out. Um, I think it's... If we're talking original Christopher Reeves, it's probably easily maybe twenty plus years apart from seeing like maybe like small clips. But if okay. we obviously have sort of been following the uh, the more modern takes on Superman, but Superman's one of those weird ones for me where it's like obviously like fantastic soundtrack, like 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 one of the best. Mm. Um, and I remember watching these a lot as a as a kid, as a Padawan, and but they're not movies that kind of like hold a super special place for me, so I, I don't tend to go back to them unless I've got a reason to. Right, okay. For me, these were, and anyone who listened to our uh, 10 Movies to Get to Know Me podcast way back when, in like 2020, um, these, these are movies that I have grown up with, particularly the first three, and in particular two and three as well. Um, so as I say, I've been wanting to do this rewatch for some time and it was a really, really enjoyable watch. And with the exception of that fourth film, I think, I think all of them have aged superbly effects wise, you know, the resolution, the believability that this human being can fly wise, music wise, as you say, all superb for me. That fourth film is a real blip, the quest for peace. It had very little money put into it, not much more than a TV budget. Uh, and most of that budget went on convincing Gene Hackman to come back after he didn't do the third film. Um, but yeah, just um, really, really fascinating to go back to see Christopher Reeve in the, in this. Other than Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, the rest of the main cast appear in all in all four of those first movies. Uh, Jackie Cooper as Perry White. You've got the original Jimmy Olsen all the way through, and Margot Margot uh, Margot Kidder, um, who who plays Lois Lane in the particularly in the first two movies was very very prominent but then in the third and fourth movie she was reduced to cameo appearances of like five ten minutes max but i do really like the consistency of having the same cast across those movies it really helps watching them back to back as well and while some of the performances and the characterizations you know of these 80s movies are probably looked at now as a little bit too dimensional you know two-dimensional bit bit cheesy you know when you look at it with a modern lens there's something I don't know, there's something about that. There's nothing about it I would really want to change. And of course, the main cast member who, you know, truly defined these movies and this role is is Christopher Reeve. He's just, he's absolutely superb as Superman. He, he really is. A, he personified the look, 
the values, the mannerisms of Superman. And and I think he was perhaps overlooked in how good he was as Clark Kent as well, but um, really, really enjoyed watching his performances. He was, a, he was a big unit as well back in the day when he was... I can't say I've ever noticed that before. And it was funny as he hides it so well when he's playing Clark Kent. And then the, when he transforms, it's really subtle. There's one scene where Lois figures out that Clark Kent is Superman and he stood there dressed as Clark and he just takes off the glasses, changes his facial expression and he just stands up that little bit straighter, shoulders back. And it's really amazing how subtle that is and how well he did it. It's uh, It's been a really enjoyable rewatch. It is funny, isn't it? Because you think, you know, most um, superheroes, you know, after this era um, of Christopher Reeves, like it's all about kind of like muscle suits and kind of like, like not for all of them, but in general, like Christopher Reeves is kind of a, he, he is classic, he is iconic. I, I think of all of these movies, it's the first movie I've probably seen the most, to be honest. Yeah. I it, this actually came out before I was born. So um, it's it one of those wow. ones that I often like, just, just <laughs> throw a little bit of shade. Yeah, um, I saw that. <laughs> It's one of those ones where there's I, and I can't remember you you'll probably be able to tell me there was a bit that terrified me in these movies and I'm not sure whether it was Superman one two or three it was three I reckon if I re- I'm, I'm going for a guess of what I think it might be tell me what it was that terrified you I can't like I'm I'm, I'm I've got a real sort of like sketchy memory on the details um, but um, it's like a woman ro- robot face or something yep. or that's it yep. got me too same one Superman three in the in the the third movie, which is uh, the ironically the one without Gene Hackman. So um, this is the one, the Richard Pryor movie, but the bad guy uh, Ro- played by Robert Vaughn, he creates with, with um, Richard Pryor, this supercomputer that gets too powerful. And it, it literally pulls this woman into the machine, into the fabric of the, of the, of the wires and the, meta- and it just all covers her face with all these wires and then her eyes mm-hmm. go metallic. And then she walks out like some sort of, cybernetic android or whatever and it is it's crazy to watch it now because it's actually quite humorous now but as a kid in the 80s yeah terrifying there's something else too about these these movies that you know this is like some classic 80s anxiety where you know there's again i'm not sure what movie it's in but there's a movie where a kid's about to get basically like he's on a farm he's about to get plowed by the haymaker superman's like mucking around and it's like it's always that tension in these movies of like oh god is he gonna get there in time and he always gets there in time but it's like i i always remember it just sort of making me feel like i wouldn't even know what the word anxiety or or anxious kind of meant back then but like it made me feel uncomfortable that's right great tension and amazingly that's also superman 3 as well um when he went back to smallville and he's having a picnic and yeah the kids run off in the combine harvester yeah it's it's and it's amazing how much of it comes back to me so vividly on on the rewatch as well um the yeah, sort of like i guess if i sort of talk specifics about some of the movies the first one the, the 1978 as you said, that signature theme, so good. Marlon Brando, he, you know, he's taking top billing. He's the first one in the credits for his performance as Jarrell, which was superb, I must say. But I love the opening of the first movie. I think that's what makes it so, so good, that particular side of the story. And it's again the same, not that I've watched it in this rewatch, but The Man of Steel with the whole Krypton's, you know, that entire Krypton opening with the court scene, the council refusing to believe Jarrell that the planet will explode and then... Kalel, Superman, you know, 
escaping in the pod in his journey to Earth and then Jonathan and Martha Kent discovering him and raising him. I love, I'll never tire of that entire storyline. It's, it's, it's really, really superb. And I think when you look at the ratings as well, the first one and the, and the, um, the fifth one really sort of pull in the, the, the highest sort of ratings overall generally. 1978 original was superb, but the, the second one, typically Cemento was always my go-to and my sort of favorite movie with the three villains led by Terence Stamp as General Zod. Um, just really, really good. Him and Gene Hackman together really pinching on Superman and a great story where, you know, Superman's decided to give up his powers. He throws it all away. He becomes a human and within 10 minutes, he's getting beat up in a bar. And then later on, it's like he realizes that General Zod has arrived on the planet Earth and all of a sudden Earth is without Superman. It's a really great story. My biggest problem with that movie is they reuse the the sort of the solution of the first movie. So the solution that they use here is uh, Superman spins the planet in the reverse direction, which means that everything goes back in time. And I think you know, if you go back in time to fix everything, you can get away with that once. But if you use the whole, oh, let's go back and just stop this from ever happening, it's a bit weak because it's an easy answer you could do in any situation. Mm. So it's a little bit weak in that terms. But yeah, definitely the first two are where it's really at. I think too, like there's something, um, there's something about like there's a real great sadness about what happened to Christopher Reeves as well. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. and like I think that's another thing that kind of like has, has – like it's not a reason to not go back, but I've I've always sort of like it's it's felt like it's such a like such an unfortunate thing to happen to the guy that plays Superman and the guy that you know was kind of unstoppable. Um, yeah, it's yeah no such a such a sad sad sort of tale. It really is, and you can see so much in his interviews and all the rest of it that he just not only was he perfectly cast as Superman and portrayed all those things, he just was genuinely just a, this this really great person as well, and. Um, and and so in that regard, I guess when you sort of look at the last two movies, which were criticised very heavily, three and four, three I have a lot of sympathy with. I actually really enjoy three. It really is, speaks to me where um, he gets split into two, the good Clark Kent and the bad Man of Steel. Um, there's a large comedy element with this movie with, um, with Richard Pryor coming in as the main antagonist as opposed to Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. Um, but there's so much fun in this movie that it's, it's the one I remember the most. Both those scenes you just talked about came from this movie. I'm not even prepared to really talk about the fourth movie because it's just every, I think every time I go to watch it, I think maybe it's not as bad as I remember. And then by the time I've finished it, I'm like, that's worse than I ever could have possibly imagined. It's just mm-hmm. awful. Despite the fact they managed to get Gene Hackman to come back. But I do think it's worth also just, just quickly mentioning the Brian Singer movie from 2006, the Superman returns because, um, Brandon Ruth came in and played the Clark Kent Superman. And and as I say, because it's within this same story, it is the same character. He does a very good, um, I don't want to say impression, but a very good honoring of the Clark Kent that Christopher Reeve had created and the mannerisms, particularly as Kent are spot on. He's, he's really, really good. And I would say across all the movies, this one has probably one of the best scenes of all time. And I'd even include that with Man of Steel, the plane crash in Superman Returns is is quite exceptional, and how Superman sort of 
stops at the very last moment. It's a really, really great, truly great movie action scene. Yeah, it's funny. I I, I really enjoyed this movie and I was, um, again, kind of like frustrated that there was another sort of Superman recasting and obviously this was in the, the earlier days of Henry Cavill and then obviously he was a great Superman. But again, we're kind of, I feel like it's just like a character that they've never been able to get right. But even as I'm saying this, like it, it's actually no different to Batman when you think about it. Like, how many Batmans have we had over the years? Like, there's there's been hundreds mm-hmm. of them, um, but for some reason, <laughs> yeah, hundreds. Uh, I feel like with the Superman, it feels like it's it, it's such a core component of the DC universe. So I really hope that um, that James Gunn and sort of his his DC reboot. Um, I hope they get this this element right. I do too. I've I've said things about it and a lot of emotion and things with the way that. Henry Cavill was treated and blah blah blah, but let's not rehear really it. But yes, I agree. I really do agree. But um, I think in order of how good these movies are critically, just to sort of wrap this up because I'm going on, I would say from a movie perspective, from a critical in reverse order, I would go four, three, two, five, one. But in order of my favorite Superman movies, for me, what's my order? I would go four, five. One, three, two, which is oh well, is probably a very unpopular ranking. But I, I really love the, the second movie with those those three villains and the story that comes with that. With Lois constantly trying to figure out that you know trying to get Clark Kent to prove he is Superman. And um, the third movie gets second ranking because again, it just it just really resonated with me as a as a kid. So um. If you're looking to just watch one movie or maybe two, I'd say, look, go and watch the first one or the fifth one. Those are probably going to be your most worthwhile bang for buck individual watches. But um, but yeah. I think this is, you've actually just hit on another element that's kind of frustrating. I think when I was young watching Superman is the the constant kind of like Lois not being able to work out at Superman and that kind of vision. Yeah. And I think, but again, like, you know, Batman also has a dual identity, but he's kind of like, I don't give an F. Like, you know, who, right. like, whereas like, obviously... I guess people like um, Superman and I know I'm crossing into Marvel, but like Spider-Man, like they're still trying to sort of like work for a living. They've still got bills to pay there. They're, they're not the the Bruce Wayne billionaire. But um, that's an interesting rating. I was surprised to not have the first movie as your number one. Yeah, it is. It is critically the best, but it's just, it's not my favorite. And one last final note, um, other than to say that um, the Superman anthology is available on Apple TV+. Plus is Superman 2. If you look it up, if you actually specifically search for Superman 2, there are two Superman 2s. There is the original and there is the Richard Donner cut. And what's funny is the Richard Donner cut is now the canon cut. It's now the one that most people refer to. But again, I grew up on the original Richard Lester Superman 2, and that's the version for me. That's my Superman 2. Mm-hmm. very good that sounds like uh you've had a, a deep rewatch um does that make you want to jump into the henry cavells or this is where I, the journey ends for now I, I think it's where the journey ends for now but the thing is it's never as clean now because you know you 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 bring in the batman versus Superman, then you go into the justice league and then you sort of want the backstory of some of those so to just follow the that one mm-hmm. character act is less of a of a less of a clean experience but um yeah, it, it could be it could be a, a rewatch at some point, but um, these I think five I've, 
No. I think so. I've asked you this before, maybe on the pod, but um, I've got an old man's memory. So, did, were you a, a Smallville fan as well? No, we talked about that funnily enough because we were, you know, just riding the wave of Superman going, oh, this is so good. And I even started looking at the George Reeves, you know, where can I watch these old black and white, you know, the old black and white Superman because I've never actually seen that. And Smallville came up and I thought, well, that would be a great opportunity because so many of the original cast who appeared in these movies and like Helen Slater from the Supergirl movies and, and others have all appeared in that Smallville series. But I never got around to watching it. And it feels like... I'm, you know, talk about being late to the party, but not just that, but this is a series that went on for, you know, 16 years and has over 200 episodes. So that's a big investment. Mm-hmm. And it's, I remember they having like a bit of a banging soundtrack as well, that TV show, but it's a another one I kind of like, I was always aware of it, but I kind of missed the boat on ever getting involved in it. And a bit like you, I, I always hear positive things about it, but the the entry point um, feels like a challenge these days. But that is me, Dan. What have you been watching this week? All right. I've got a, a couple of movies for you before we get into our um, watch of the week. So the first movie, Paul, um, is a 2023 movie, uh, came out late in 2023, Saltburn. So this is a movie that I kind of, um, there was obviously a lot of kind of like social media kind of like hype about this movie. Um, So you know me, Paul, I've got to jump on the hype train. I've got to see what it's all about. So this is a a movie on Amazon, sorry, Prime Video. Uh, And it's basically about a, I'll talk a little, I'll talk light spoilers, but I think the majority of people I would imagine have either seen this movie or are maybe avoiding it or or still on the fence. You're probably in one of three categories. So this is basically about a, um, a student at Oxford University in 2006 who kind of gets, and he's a scholarship student, student so he kind of um, tells the story of coming from a, a poor family. His He sort of tells the story of how his family were drug addicts and used to abuse him. And he kind of comes into this prestigious Oxford University world where he's kind of a real black sheep. He he doesn't really fit in with anyone, but he's, he's desperate to kind of um, fit in. And he kind of finds himself involved with a the popular people on school uh, on the school campus it's got a a pretty great cast it's got um barry keegan who we've seen in all sorts of movies like he's had that cameo as the joker um in the latest batman movie Mm -hmm. um he was in uh, what's that irish movie the the banshees of insurance that's right yeah um he's in the green knight like he's he's a real I think in my view, like he, he's already obviously a celebrity and famous, but I, I feel like he's a real like up and comer and he's in lots of real, a great sort of wide range of um, TV shows and movies. Uh, then we've got Jacob Elordi who plays these, he's kind of our our main uh, rich guy, shall we call him. Um, he plays a character called Felix. And so he really takes um, Barry Keegan's character kind of under his wing and he kind of introduces him to his family um, and this this family is like sort of that kind of ridiculous old money rich where um, none of the family really kind of do anything, but they all just kind of like they live on this big estate and um, they've all kind of got their own kind of like weird issues and problems that kind of come with it. Uh, there's all sorts of parties at this event and it's kind of 
the relationship between Barry Keegan and, and Jacob Elordi is kind of a fascinating one because Barry Keegan's character is almost kind of like in, infatuated and kind of so just like in awe of Jacob Elordi's character because he's so rich, he's so popular, he's so he's everything he wants to be, and so he works really hard to kind of break into that world even though he's got no money and what really kind of unfolds with this whole story is it's kind of a a, a murder mystery and if if a, if you're interested in a good murder mystery and this isn't on your radar yet I would recommend it it does come with some some pretty R-rated scenes uh, because I think this this the level of obsession goes goes quite over the top there there is murder there is a lot of sort of sexual related scenes there's nudity it's got all the things but story-wise I actually had a really great time with this like there's so many quirky characters um and they're all kind of damaged in their own way they've all got you know whether it's past trauma or addiction or trying to work out who they are in the world and it all just kind of comes together as this manic kind of um mess and so so Saltburn is the is the name of the the castle that they all kind of live in and hang out in. So this is a this is a must watch. It's it's really good. What's interesting is is despite all of the you know the the press it's had around those controversial scenes, it's actually only rated a fifteen. You know, it's not it's not even a sixteen or whatever. So it's actually in that respect, it's actually in indicative that it wouldn't be as, as as shocking as some of the things I've spoken to a number of people who've seen it, and they're all in the same camp as you. And everyone's gone in and really, really rated it really high. Um, and the the writer director of this, um, Emerald Fennel, he's um, he's done a lot of things, and you've watched a number of his things. So, Promising Young Woman, the uh, Carrie, Carrie movie. what's her name, Mulligan, mm-hmm. yeah, that movie she did, and also, of course, Killing Eve. Um, so great, great track record. Um, I do, I've forgotten how you pronounce his last name, Barry Keoghan. I'm sure that's wrong and I'm sure someone will, will correct us on that. But um, he is superb in a number of different things that we've seen. And I remember him in Chernobyl. I remember him in Dunkirk. And I see he's also coming, uh, he's also starring in Masters of the Air as well, which is also on our radar um, so that'll be something to look forward to here. But um, now, as I say, this this has attracted a lot of attention. The ratings generally seem to be pretty high as well. And yeah, a really impressive cast. Um, Rosamund Pike is another actress who I really find very, very interesting in her in her films, very deep performances. And similarly, Richard E. Grant, um, is he's like on a second wave of, like after his sort of 90s sort of hits, he sort of seems to have come back as well. And they are both fantastic in this this uh, movie as well. And what's kind of interesting is, as you would imagine with kind of old money, is there's a lot of people that kind of hang around the family. They've either been family friends or, and you know, they the family kind of gets sick of people and they kind of like, you know, they roll them in and out depending on what kind of the, the need is of the family. It, this is a difficult movie to talk about without like truly kind of spoiling the plot. And I think my advice to you would be if, if it's of interest is actually stay away from any any trailers don't read too much about it because there's a lot of great kind of twists and turns in there which which I never saw coming and and I love a movie like that that kind of like leaves you kind of um surprised at the end well this is this is one that I know a lot of people like you say are going to be like mum either it's going to be I'm definitely in or I'm not um but 
I the one thing that I will say for this movie is it does well in terms of getting people's attention. And I think that these days you've really got to stand out to get people's mm-hmm. attention. And this is one that certainly does. Yeah, look, I had no kind of concept of like, you know, that this movie was coming. It was I, I kind of heard about it afterwards kind of on social and then kind of like checked it out and I, I managed to check it out without sort of having too much stuff spoiled. So yeah, look, it's um prime video, great place to check out. Um yeah, probably just be comfortable with a bit of the uh, nudity and sexual content. But as you say, Paul, it's, it's only rated um, and, and R, so um, it's, it's it's by all means kind of kind of watchable. But, yeah, check it out, Prime Video. The next movie I've watched, Paul, is this is actually – I just had a – I've talked about this movie a few times on the pod, but I had a, a hankering for a rewatch, and it is the 2014 movie Fury – which I watched on Netflix. So this is the um, David Ayer, um, <clears throat> Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf, um, Michael Penner, John Bernthal, classic World War II movie. Uh, basically, uh, Brad Pitt is a, a tank commander and he's kind of leading his crew across Germany kind of in the, in the final days of World War II. It's been a while since I've watched this movie, but I always talk about it. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it was so great to go back. Like, I was hooked into this movie, like, in a Saving Private Ryan type way. Like, this movie is gold. Like, it's it's <clears throat> it's both – like, it's quite a heartbreaking movie. It's quite sad. I think they do a, a good job of sort of, you know, showing the – you know, because obviously, like, you know, the Allies – um, you know, liberating Germany, but actually, you know, there's there's a lot of bad stuff that also happened. And I think what's kind of interesting is in my mind, there's so much kind of like press around um, Shia LaBeouf's sort of role in this movie, how, you know, he plays mm-hmm. a character called um, Bible, and there's so much press about him, you know, not showering, like ripping out one of his own teeth, like trying to kind of really like live the, the World War II tank experience. But he's actually one of the, and I kind of forgot about this because of all this press. He's actually one of the most wholesome characters in this whole movie. The actual craziest character in here is John Bernthal's character, who plays a guy called called Coon, and he's an absolute villain. He kind of redeems himself at the end, and he's kind of his heart's kind of in the right place. But there is a lot of kind of dark stuff that happens in this, and it's I don't know. There's I love these types of movies, and this why I'm really kind of excited to watch. Um, Masters of the Year, like I, anything World War Two. So fascinated by, um, even just like Brad Pitt was was so good in this movie. And the other thing that kind of really stood out for me is um, the guy that plays Norman in this film, uh, Logan Lerman. He was, he's kind of the star of this, and I just feel like as an actor, we haven't seen him in a lot of things since then. Like he's yeah. obviously been in Hunters. Um, he's what else has he been? He's, he's sort of had small roles in like Bullet Train, uh, but he hasn't gone on to do really big things. And alongside Brad Pitt, he he's a hundred percent the the main actor. That's a really good observation, actually, because I don't I, th- I don't think I've seen him in anything else either. But um, this is a great choice of a movie to rewatch. This was we need a we need a place down where we can drop movies in as like potential rewatches because if this had gone in the basket I reckon this would be one that I would have pulled out this is absolutely superb I was just looking through my notes and this movie I had um, when we did the peak performance 
for John Bernthal. I had it as my honorable mention, second only to mm-hmm. the Punisher, because of the the the, the crazy um, Kunas character that he played. I mean, <laughs> there's something about the journey you go on though with this whole crew um, in this tank. This tank becomes their everything, their whole existence, their home, and again, confined space. Just really a real journey that they go on and david i is it i or a i'm not sure i'm never sure i'm, I'm, I'm never too name. sure i'm never too sure he always makes something fascinating a eh? and you know even if we go back to like the the other movies that we've watched like you know birds of prey and he's got the gotham city movie coming uh, series coming out as well later next year i think he's he's always got something and yeah great great choice i cannot believe this movie is 10 years old dan where has that time gone i know and i I feel like we don't really get movies like this anymore like and it was kind of i don't know there's something so great about the the way that this film shot like it's got the real kind of like raw grittiness of like the characters are dirty the environment's dirty like being in that tank is it's confined it's sweaty it's grubby um and i think a good shout like the tank is almost a, a character in itself and i think one of my real kind of like I love the way they shot the sort of the gunfire between the like particularly when they come up against like a tiger tank for with Germ with the Germans and the yep. tank the the missiles almost look like lasers. Like the way it's kind of shot and just like this kind of this the slow motion of the right. uh, of the mortar. It's just it looks like there's literally like red light or green lasers like shooting back across the screen and yeah. it's just so terrifying and I think in a world where, you know, there's a lot of seriousness and a lot of joking about what a, a World War Three looks like. I, it just always puts me in kind of like awe of what people in, you know, in, in any war, but like particularly World War Two, because I think it's so heavily kind of retold, like what you kind of had to go through. Like it's, mm. it's just I'm like, yeah. Could you imagine just being like, go like go and hold the crossroads, your radio's broken and you've just got to do what you can take. Like, And when you think about all the paperwork and stuff that happens in our, in our jobs on a, on a day-to-day level and how much autonomy actually happens in war, like it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, the other thing too is that it gave me a, almost kind of a, a revitalized appreciation for David David Ayer. and mm. I think you know he gets a lot of he gets a lot of sort of hate for um, uh, the Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, yeah. But he's like, to be honest, like I would love to see his director's cut because you know if you've heard the stories, like apparently mm. the studio kind of like heavily handed sort of recut that film. But he's got like Training Day under his belt, End of yep. Watch. Um, bright birds of prey. Uh, the beekeepers just come out. Like I'm quite keen to see that. Like he's got some real bangers, and um, yeah, I think he's okay. It was just great, and it was it exactly scratched the itch that I was looking for in a in a war movie. So, and I've been wanting to rewatch it for for a, for an age. So, this is on on Netflix at the moment. Great selection. I'm just staring at the poster now, those the five faces, and I just know that you sort of look at that, and if you haven't watched it, you sort of think, oh yeah, five guys in a tank. But when you come out the other side of this movie, you've really gone on a whole journey with them, and you look at each of those faces, and you you feel something for each of their their whole lives and what they've gone through. And as you said, World War Two movies always fascinating, but this is a an angle and a, a perspective on a particular you know when you sort of go in on a micro level that I'd never seen delivered like this before mm. so yeah look um netflix check it out paul should we jump into our watch of the week 
Yes, indeed. So every week, Dan and I bring to the pod our Watch of the Week, uh, either a TV show or movie. We announce what it will be in advance over in our Discord community, which you can join just by clicking on the link in the show notes. And we show in there a bit in advance to give you time to catch up and watch whatever we've got on our radar. This week, Dan and I are reviewing the second season of The Morning Show. We are indeed. So we're a little bit late to the the morning show party. Uh, We reviewed um, the first season uh, near the end of 2023. And now, well, actually, you reviewed it first, Paul, and then I kind of came late to the party even further and and kind of jumped on it. So we thought we'd better sync up for season two. And I think it's good because... I don't know about you, but I'm I'm very excited to now jump into season three, and I think that's going to put us in a good position for when season four comes out uh, later this year, I presume. So this season, uh, for those of you that need a recap or haven't seen it, it basically picks up about nine months after uh, the end of season one of The Morning Show. And what's interesting about this season is it really kind of brings in the COVID angle and kind of the, you know, you kind of get the first kind of the cough that someone has as the Mm -hmm. ball drops uh, on New Year's Eve. You start to kind of see them talking about COVID on the news, but as a real like, oh, what's going on in Wuhan? Like, you know, people are getting sick, what's happening? And then all the way through to kind of obviously the, the full outbreak. But intertwined with that, you've actually got a great story. And when I first kind of jumped into season two, the first episode, I was kind of like, oh, God, I, I, is this is this going to be good? Like, can they maintain the same kind of, the same pressure, the same stakes? But I've got to tell you, Paul, I had a good, if not better time in season two. And I, once we kind of hooked into it, we were kind of, a, we were, we were addicted. We were just sort of watching episode after episode. And we, like the first season took us a little while to get through, but this season we raced through it. That's amazing. I I just want to quickly preface before we talk too much. If you are thinking of watching this show and haven't, do not listen to this review because I do think, Dan, we do need to talk about a few things which will obviously be spoilers. Um, So just use the timings in the show notes and jump ahead to the the news desk. Same as you, Dan, this took a while to draw me in. I was not feeling the same intensity and energy and tension and all that good stuff that I did with season one for at least the first I'm just looking at it now I'd say two maybe two and a half episodes and it was it was actually feeling it was starting to feel like a bit of a downer actually um and I have to say I'm really glad we decided to make it a watch of the week because you know I you know if this wasn't potentially you know two and a half episodes I could have just stopped and just not saying I would never have come back to it, but I could have left it there for months. Like I did, you know, I was talking last week about how I dealt with season four of Star Trek Discovery. You know, I sort of had to do it in like three attempts over the period of like nine months. But the watch of the week made me think, no, persevere. And I was really glad I did as well. It, it really, it really, really did pick up. And then by mid-season, all the way through to the end, with the exception of the last episode I was completely invested as well. And I would say it still didn't reach the levels of drama and tension or hype of the first season for me. It was it was fine for me. But as we've often said, there's too much out there f- for us to ever settle for something that's just fine, which is why I remain amazed that Earth Measures have such a loyal listener numbers. But 
it didn't quite reach the level of season one for me. So I'm, it's it's awesome that you have a slightly different perspective because often it's me bringing in the hype and and you saying not for me. So let's hear it. So it's funny, right? Because I knew coming into the second season, like I knew that it hadn't reviewed as well. And so I was already kind of coming in with a little bit of a, oh God, it's just going to be a real kind of like chore to get through. And I don't know what it was, Paul, but we just got, we just got in the zone of it. And I don't know whether, because so here's what happened. So we watched all of season one and then we were kind of so into it that we just went straight on to season two. And then we kind of about that time, and we'd only watched the first episode. We had that conversation about let's put it on the the watch of the week schedule. Um, mm-hmm. And so we kind of stopped because um, we thought, I'll oh, watch it a bit closer to the time. And I think that stopping actually helped us because we'd already watched episode one, um, you know, back last year. And that was kind of a bit of a – I didn't like that episode at all. I, I didn't like the – but by the time we kind of got, as you say, into sort of episode two and three, we were kind of just, just really vibing it. I think that um, there's there's a lot of characters which are really kind of growing on me, in particular um, Billy Crudup as Corey Ellison. Just yes. I I love him as the CEO of UBA. He's I I can never decide whether he's the ultimate villain and antihero or or the actual hero of the show. I both like I I really like almost kind of love to hate. Jennifer Anderson and Reese Witherspoon's character because like they're both so frustrating in their own ways they're both so sort of I'm bigger than all of this and it's just kind of fascinating to see the politics of it and then in a real kind of surprise turn of events the other person that just kind of really stood out for me is is the Mitch Kessler storyline um and you know it's it really, I think, speaks to Steve Carell's kind of ability as an actor to kind of like, for the first, in the first season, I still couldn't not see him as Michael Scott. But in this season, uh, that, that really shifted away for me. And I, I just thought it was interesting, his his obsession with kind of getting his story. Like he could have just taken his money and been happy and just yeah. lived lived the life. But, you know, it's it's not the media way. Like, you've got to get your story out there. And then I think alongside that, I just thought they did a really good job of kind of building out some of these these other characters, um, like Yanko, um, Chip. Like, there's, I don't know, it just it collectively kept coming together for me as a package. And... I I do sort of feel, I don't know, it's just the story worked for me in a way that I wasn't expecting. So I, I, there's nothing that really kind of stands out for me that says, hey, this is the thing that actually made it better than season one. Mm. I just, as a as a viewer, felt like I had a really good time and, and I felt like we raced through the episodes. My only um, uh, sort of slight complaint, I guess, is, and I've said this before about other other COVID-related things, I'm just not sure how I feel about watching the COVID storyline, and I know that this is important because this is the news, but it's kind of just like, like it's it, it's it's fr- it's a bit like the Superman um, in Lois Lane, you know, not knowing that this is Clark Kent, like, just, I think it's painful watching when we oh, this COVID, it's going to be nothing, and you, and you know it's a yeah. big thing, and it's kind of, yeah. I feel like it just kind of gets hammed up a bit, and it's a little bit frustrating, but Story-wise, um, it's got all the drama. And one last sort of point uh, before I kind of, I'm sorry, I realise I'm sort of rattling on, is I think when I watched the first season, it was kind of in the proximity of me finishing Succession. So that was my kind of like expectation around this level of dramas. Yeah. And then so, but now that there's been a bit of time, the slate's a bit clear. So that's why I think season two kind of worked for me. And that's why I maybe found season one a little bit, 
harder to get into, but overall still enjoyed. I um just a, there's a few things to pick apart there, Dan, that you've talked about. Firstly, the COVID thing. I think um maybe sort of and I, we can't even say post COVID because we are living very much in a, in a in a COVID world, but we've under we, we understand what it is and we've gone through lockdown and all the rest of it. But maybe watching it post post the sort of the lockdown side of things, it maybe it doesn't hit home as hard because we know the story and we know how it, it ends for so many people, unfortunately. Um also interesting, just to be a real BA about it, but right from the get-go they were calling it COVID. And my memory is, is that, that didn't happen straight away at all. We were all referring to it fully as coronavirus or corona. And mm-hmm. the word COVID or, or vid or whatever didn't come in for some time. But right off the bat, they're calling it COVID. And that sort of, I don't know, I just sort of picked up on that as being a bit bit sort of out of place. But um, I think one of the things in this series, when I think about what worked well and what was effective, because season one was so good at um, bringing some very sort of uh, how do I say it? Sort of um, premium drama in terms of high stakes. I thought one of the things they did well with the Mitch Kessler story was actually killing him off. And as much as I love Steve Carell on screen, I think killing him off dramatically was a good thing in terms of because um, a character with a backstory like his who is you you know as you say he's got his eyes on redemption he wants to get his story out there but the reality is he simply doesn't get what he's done he's there's only so much mileage there in that character and i think getting rid of him actually allows us to move forward and past him and allow people to process what that means for them and i thought that that was was quite effective i agree with you you, you mentioned yanko his story i thought that was quite good you know with the sort of the racial thing and sort of saying something and not even realizing he's being being racist and how that played out but i, I just felt like sometimes they didn't push hard enough so like the, the what was his name daniel henderson character his um they didn't push hard like so he's never going to be the prime time co-anchor but nothing really came out of any consequence it was a bit of a missed opportunity to do something more a bit bigger or more explosive and actually really push well why isn't he the co-anchor? You know, as as a person of color, he's he's bringing all these things to the table, and they don't really dive in enough for me as to why they're not allowing him to be the co-anchor of this show, which is you know two white people, and I felt that that was a, another another big thing that they could have dived into. That was um, I don't know what the word is. It's not groundbreaking or risque, but I, it's hard hitting things that are important to shine a light on and I just thought they didn't raise it enough. Mm. That, that is, uh, yeah. I think they've, they've done a good job of like giving those stories an elevated platform, but they certainly haven't. It's not their focus, I guess. They've kind of almost gone for more of the, they obviously keep you know, bringing it back to Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon's characters. Um, yes. There is a lot of annoying things that some of these characters, like, you know, like, Jennifer Aniston is um, as Alex Levy, like you know, don't go into the studio. We're keeping it a big surprise. And what does she do? She goes into the studio. Like I just hate it when like people do those absolutely hate like, that dumb things. Like yeah. get out of the studio. Like it's and I think too what kind of sucks for and I 
I feel like I look at any kind of like news, particularly morning show type stuff that's like, you know, in real life differently now. As you know, like that the pressure of being a producer and having to like line up like who's saying what, people going off off the grid saying whatever they want. Um, somebody's sick, people get like all of a sudden you're moved in to be the anchor, like not for me, Paul. That world is not for me. Hectic. Mm, absolutely hectic. I just wanted to shout out Greta Lee, who plays the character of Stella, Stella Back. She's vicious. And I thought she was her alongside Billy Crudup, who, like you, I think you defined him perfectly. Like, you don't know, is he actually going to be the, the hero? Or is he the ultimate villain in disguise? The That dynamic with, with Stella, who's quite clearly, I'm here to do a job and I'm a steamroller and I don't care who I take out on the way. I thought she was standout this season. Yeah. I, 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 I'm I, trying to find and I can't see her. She's not jumping off the page of me. Was it Isabella? No. Who was the character... The, the European woman that Mitch was with, I didn't like her character. She was just a bit odd and it didn't help with the four episodes, which was the arc of that was unpicking Mitch's guilt. And I mm-hmm. thought that was the important thing for us to understand was how that, but it was kind of convoluted. It wasn't an easy to understand way that they went about it. But I do have a question for you, Dan. And if you know, if you actually know the answer to this, maybe just don't answer, but where does this show go next and obviously that's already come out and we haven't watched yet season three because alex's journey was we haven't even talked really about alex but her her journey was one of the main drivers of this season and the whole sort of back and forth with her and you know the death of mitch and therefore the end of that conversation leaves plenty of airtime for lots of other stories will it be more bradley centric or do we what will season three bring or or do we need a new MacGuffin, as it were to drive the story forward what where do you see it going yeah, look, I, I've done no research into season three apart from um, I just know that the IMDb scores are a little bit higher on some of those episodes. So mm. hopefully it's – um yeah, I, I often wonder that with a show like this. I, I feel like – I don't know how many seasons of this show there are, but you could imagine this being a maybe a four or only five seasons because I don't know how long can you lock in a Jennifer Aniston or Reese Witherspoon into, into this type of production. And – I I thought this in season one, like I don't want to watch several seasons of them kind of fighting out for who's going to be the number one spot. So surely it's going to be they have to sort of like elevate the the drama to to different levels or or kind of shift the focus. Because um, otherwise, it's just going to be a fatiguing story of watching them kind of correct. Just that's what yeah, I, was I don't thinking. know. Mm, mm. I don't I don't have any ideas. All I know is that those guys are are rocking two million per episode. So. Maybe it is worth doing a few extra seasons. That's more than that's eight times more than we're getting. So that's a lot of money. We season four is showing on my thing here as twenty twenty five, so it may actually be oh, okay. a ways away. But um, we do have that third season ready to go to add into our watch of the week schedule. And I'm wondering, yeah, whether we we just dive in pretty soon or whether we leave it towards the end of the year if if we've got a whole year to wait till season four. But um, for me, like I said, I wasn't enjoying it at the start. Then I got really invested and I enjoyed it. The last episode, which we haven't really talked about for me, was a bit of a down. I thought it was a great idea, but poorly executed. But the whole season had a very middle chapter type feel to it. Wasn't quite groundbreaking enough for me. Mm -hmm. I hope they raise the stakes in the third season. But overall, I have to maintain quality cast performances quality production great story 
um, in terms of the when I say story, I mean sorry plot in terms of the 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 focus of the on camera and the off camera and that continual dynamic. I really enjoy that side of this series. Mm, no, I agree. Just to go to your uh, earlier point, one of our Patreon producers is absolutely champing at the bit to watch season three. So unless you want to go in for Alex Levy on you, we might want to bring that up in the in the schedule. The last thing I need is another. We've had our AGM. We don't need a mid. No, nah, that's right. So yeah, let's just lock it in. There'll be a beer hug. There'll be bore on the floor. There'll be all sorts of bore uh, on the floor. There'll be all sorts of chaos. So um, no, look, I yeah, I enjoyed this. I I don't know. It is interesting to watch it as a as a watch of the week because I could have easily seen myself kind of dropping out of this series, like after watching the first one, being like, oh yeah, it was all right, but like, you know. But um, you know, sometimes when it's watch of the week, it, you kind of push through a little bit more. Um, and and I'm glad That's I right. did it. Like I had a I had a great time. So um, you can check this out on Apple TV. I think it's Apple TV's got a, a pretty great list of um good TV shows at the moment. So this will be one of them for me. Given the things you've watched this week, Dan, I am curious to find out what your pick of the week will be this week. It's tough, isn't it? Like I. I'm actually going to go with the old comfortable pair of track pants. I'm going to go with Fury. Like I just, and and because this literally this is what it was Saturday afternoon. Um, I kind of had like this two hour window, and I was like, ah, oh, like a movie would fit this. And I and I just was I just saw Fury on one of the title cards, and I'm like, this is it. And I just had the the best time ever. So, uh, 2014's Fury. How about yourself? Yeah, for me. Uh, I probably should specify, but I am just going to say Superman. They're just really, you know, you talk about a comfortable pair of track pants. The, the rewatch of the Superman is a really comfortable space to go into. And um, as I say, I think the biggest thing for me is putting aside number four. It just aged so well. And I don't know that I was expecting it to. I was expecting it to have aged less well. So mm. Superman Anthology for me and at a push i'll still say superman too very nice next week dan of course just for everyone who's uh, wondering we do have mr and mrs smith um which is um our watch of the week um available to watch prime video i cannot wait to dive into that one shall i take us over to the news desk let's go All right, so as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, so it is Super Bowl week, and Super Bowl week really means a whole bunch of um, movie and TV trailers. I'm not going to like kind of like necessarily deep dive into all of them, but I guess some of the big ones that came out um, as A Quiet Place Day One, we had Despicable Me 4. This one, I kind of caught me by surprise, Twisters, which is Twister 2, actually kind of looks great to be honest like yeah. a, a, a great uh disaster movie um can be quite good for the soul and this one looks like it's got all the great elements some cheesy cowboy characters over the top special effects people driving into actual twisters so this is a sequel because it did you, know, you can tell by the font you know the the twisters font is um such a 90s font but that gives it away it's a sequel do, do we know anyone from the original movie or did everyone just i can't remember now was it bill paxton and uh, yeah i i've done um i've done i've done no looking into it but if we don't at least get like a helen hunt sort of cameo in this at some point like it's 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 got to happen um but i like i'm i'm weirdly intrigued I, i think this is a movie i didn't know i needed but i 
I'll definitely be checking it out. Um, we've obviously had Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, which is looking quite good. Probably the, the big trailer was Deadpool and Wolverine. Uh, we had Wicked, we had If, we had more, more about the Fall Guy, we had Monkey Man. So a whole bunch of stuff kind of dropped there. Paul, have you checked out any of the trailers? I have watched none of them. I've tried really hard 2024 to not watch. I didn't watch the Bad Batch trailer. I haven't watched a number of trailers. I'm, so I have avoided most things. The one I was really tempted by, and I, I have avoided thus far, was Deadpool and Wolverine because I do feel like just the idea of Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman together would be just hilarious. But at the same time, I'm a little bit scared that if it's too... If it turns out to be Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Grant, uh, and Hugh, Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, that will that be too much for me? I don't know, so I kind of left it. But um, yeah, the, I, the I other trailer I I don't think I mentioned is uh, Wicked, which um, obviously uh, huge uh, Broadway production. But I I sort of looked. I I have watched this trailer, and I actually first I thought it was a, a Harry Potter trailer. It sort of had that sort of vibe to it. But obviously, Wicked's kind of based on the Wizard of Oz. I did watch the Deadpool trailer. I probably shouldn't have, to be honest with you, because I feel like those movies often show some really good goofs and gags in the trailer. Um, and I think the more fresh you can go into them, the better. So I, I don't think I'll be checking out any more trailers. But I'm a little bit like you. Like I, I think they're kind of probably relying on this movie to actually sort of bridge together a lot of the the Marvel universe introduce the X Men, create some crossovers, which which will be good. But um, there's a there's a lot riding on it. Um, I'm probably I'm I'm quite excited for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say the one that kind of I I thought looked the most fun, Twisters. Yeah, and just funny enough, I just because I hadn't heard of Wicked, so I just typed it in while you were talking. The trailer for that does look, I can see what you mean about Harry Potter. That's actually really caught my eye. I've just pressed edit to watch this straight away. That looks really, really uh, fascinating. Yeah, well, the, that, that first scene of a sort of train pulling up looks like a very yeah. kind of like modern day Hogwarts Express. So, um, mm. yeah, look, there'll be some good stuff. But I, I think overall there was nothing that was kind of like, oh, my God, we got the latest Star Wars or we got the, you know, whatever it is. So I think you're right. There's probably some some opportunity there for next year. Or I wonder whether companies are just like, we don't want to spend the money to advertise through Super Bowl. We can, you know, if you're Disney, you could actually just drop the Star Wars trailer. You don't need the Super Bowl to uh, get eyes on your trailer. So who knows? Uh, a couple of other things on the news desk this week. So uh, Paramount Plus um, is releasing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle um, spin-off TV show from the Mutant Mayhem movie. Uh, Colour Me Excited, as you know, big Ninja Turtles fan. I will be watching that. I hope it's coming to Paramount Plus uh, in New Zealand because I am very keen. We also have uh, The Bear Season 3 is apparently going to have a June release window, which is very exciting. I love that they can kind of pump the show out pretty quickly. Yes. Um, June seems to be its sort of release window each time. So um, there's sort of various talk that they're going to drop it all at once, but we still had it kind of dropped. Not We had it dropped later than they had it in the US last yeah. year, and we got it weekly. So... Who knows what they're going to do there? I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of torn about that because it is a show that is both great to binge, but once it's done, it's done. 
Um, and then two bits of Star Wars news for you. So there was a bit of a, a hype piece of Star Wars news. Empire Magazine was um, dropping Hello There um, title mm. cards and, and kind of memes implying, you know, everyone's kind of getting excited about does this mean Obi-Wan Season 2? But it actually turned out to be uh, uh, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, returning to theatres May the 3rd. Um, for its, what are we talking here, 25-year anniversary. Um, I'm down. If this is coming out here, I'm going, Paul. I'm I'm more than keen to have an episode one rewatch and would love to see it on the big screen again. Um, what about you? Does this sort of spin your wheels? Oh, 100%. 100%. There's, and it feels like, and it's not, it feels like it is. 2019 was the last time we went to the cinema for Star Wars, mm. for The Rise of Skywalker, mm. which wasn't, you know, let's be honest, wasn't the greatest movie of all time. So we got so used to going year after year from Force Awakens 2015 all the way through that actually now I'm, I'd love to go into this into the big screen and see uh, the original. I, I just think um, those those prequel movies as we have we gone into depth. You know, if you want to re- have a listen, we've reviewed them full podcast length for each movie. We had a great time with all all of them really. Give me a um, an Anakin Skywalker yippee! Um, I will be there. And then my my final bit of uh, Star Wars news, and this is this is a take it with a grain of salt. This is a, a interview that Samuel L. Jackson did with Empire Magazine. Um, he is apparently adamant that Mace Windu is not dead, um, and that he would like his own Disney Plus TV show. I think the thing that's interesting with someone like Samuel L. Jackson is I feel like if he says he's not dead and he wants a TV show, I feel like you have to make the TV show. I, I, like who's going? Who, who's <laughs> that's arguing? That's how you do business. That's how you do business. You you don't want to mess with Samuel Jackson. Well, um, you just got to go back to Pulp Fiction, right? Like if he yeah. if he walks in and he's like, "What are you doing? You're, you're making a TV show, uh, a little six Say episode no again. arc." Yeah, that's right. That's right. Bye bye, Gar. You've you you know what to do. Yeah, I I saw that and I immediately had memories of, and I'm going back ooh, over well over a decade now, I made a bet with a person who I hope has forgotten. That I said, no way, Mace Windu's dead. He's not coming back. And we just made this bet at the time. And so, but at the same time, I'd be happy to lose that bet to have him come back. But for his own TV show, that's, that feels a big ask. Him showing up somewhere would be pretty cool. I mean, we saw with Boba Fett, you know, Boba Fett was presumed dead since 1983 and then he resurfaced. So um, I've got, there's another little piece of Star Wars news as well. Don't, sorry, did you want to say something else on that? Oh, I was just going to say something about, and this is going to be controversial for Star Wars fans, but I don't like as Mace Windu in, interested enough as a character to kind of have his own TV show. And, and, and I think like with other people could be interesting, but I think his kind of existence really changes a lot in this in the Star Wars world, um, mm. and so uh, who who knows who knows. It's interesting. I remember saying it in those three podcasts we did that actually the Mace Windu character frustrated me a lot of the time because he was so high and mighty, and you know, like I remember right from the start when they were trying to convince them that there's this new young kid, and he's like, "Oh, bring him in." I suppose we'll look at you. Know, I really, and I think I what happens is I disassociate Mace Windu because I love Samuel Jackson as an actor that I think, Mm. oh, yeah, that's Mm. cool. But then, of course, he arrives on screen as Mace. And actually, 
I'm sick of him straight away. So um, <laughs> so someone on. Not- <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of him. Um, just one, one, one thing before we move on, Paul, is it just it gave me a, a flashback memory to the time that you and I had a, you know, I'll sing on this podcast if Luke Skywalker appears in The Mandalorian. <laughs> and right. is, is this one of those same situations that if there's a, a Mace window TV no, show that... Okay. it's not, because I, I don't... I'll tell you what, though, I will... No, actually, I'm not going to say anything silly because that caught me out last time. Because what I am excited about, and it still seems to be rumour, I still can't find an official source, so I'm a bit nervous about including it on the news desk, but Donald Glover says that he is now making a Lando movie, not a TV series. So if that's true, um, and I think because he gets creative control as well, and I've, you know, he, he's he's good on and off off screen, right? I, I just, I've always wanted to revisit that time period with those characters. And I do insist that that obviously has some hand Solo element because Olden Neckenreich was superb as Solo as well. And I, I think it's not solo too. They can call it Lando. I don't care what they call it, frankly. I just, I want, that's, there's a lot of things in the pipeline. We've heard a lot of movies, but this would be one that I would really, um, really, really be pleased to see because when you and I did our full movie reviews and did the rankings, solos came up a lot higher on my list than I ever expected it to. And I think this is probably dipping a little bit into next week's podcast, but ship this movie, ship the TV series, do whatever Donald Glover wants. Like, that guy, that guy's gold. He's perfect. He's, he's perfect for this role. Like he's already he's already proven his use case. So um, I I hope that they let him kind of have some creative control and do something good here because I think it will be unique. But um, maybe that sort of dips a little bit into next week's Mister and Mrs Smith review. Mm. Um, another TV show with a third season coming quickly, like The Bear, is Welcome to Wrexham as well. Season mm. three of that um, is now. Uh, less than two months away, which seems really, really soon Crazy. after the last season. So that's that's great to be able to dive straight into that journey. Um, really looking forward to that. And the other thing I was going to talk about was, again, it's kind of rumor mill, but I'm going to bring it up. Mads Mikkelsen says um, that he he's really positive about the idea that Hannibal could return. And you and I, again, going back to our podcast, did a, a podcast about TV shows that were cancelled too soon, and we both had Hannibal on our list. The idea of having a fourth season of Hannibal nine years down the track um, would would be really something special, I think, because that was a, a TV show that, um, within that franchise, lived up to the hype of the movie franchise and then some. That is a, a TV show I would love to rewatch. I, I don't even know if it's available on any streaming platforms at the moment, but um, I, I would love a, another season. Um, yeah. Oh, great. This is this is very exciting. Yeah, it would indeed be a, a great rewatch. Um, that is all of the um, news I had. Um, mailbag, Dan, not a dicky bird in the mailbag this week from any actors or writers or directors or any listener corrections or complaints, Dan. So literally, just our peak performance this week, and uh, we had oh, they've, five they've, nominations. They've got their money. They've got their, you know, writers' strike. <laughs> it's all like it's all coming up Millhouse. Don't worry about the podcast anymore. <laughs> they're, yeah, it's. Um, I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't want to dive into it, but X Twitter is just not what it used to be, and it used to be a great source of engagement for us, and you know, the retweets and the com- and you think about oh, think back to the time we had the writer. Um, of 
the the movie. Oh my goodness, my blank memory. Are you talking uh, about the criminal, like not the TV show? Or no, not, not criminal. The um, the Polish one that we complained they didn't focus on. Oh yes, that's right. What was that movie? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Measure. Yep. Um, but, you know, we had the writer respond to us on Twitter, listen to our podcast and then say, no, no, we did try to include the background of these Jews. And the reason we didn't was because they left it on the... <laughs> Can you say that? That's what she said. That's what she said. She said, we did include the background of these Jews, but they got, it got left on the cutting room floor. And that's why it didn't appear in the movie. But I love that sort of engagement that we used to get because we, we, we called it out and said that they didn't give us enough of the background. And these characters deserve the background. The zookeeper's wife. The zookeeper's wife. Thank you. But yeah, so we just, yeah, X Twitter, it's just not what it used to be because the, the fact is, is that the, the, those creatives are no longer engaging in that platform. And it's not mm. quite as. You know, Threads is sort of picking up, but it's not quite there yet. And it's difficult to get a dialogue going. Um, Instagram doesn't quite provide that. So anyway, no news this week. Like you said, they've got their money. They've got their writer's strike sorted. Um, but we did have five nominations come in for uh, Liv Tyler, who was a big performance nomination last week. Um, we had um, Ricky. Uh, he wrote Betty Ross before The Incredible Hulk. And I'm just reflecting on that now. I'm not sure what he actually means. As the way I see it, she was actually only in one Marvel movie, which was, of course, The Incredible Hulk. So how she was Betty Ross before Incredible Hulk? Any ideas what that means? Wait, so that so she was so she was Betty Ross in the Hulk, and then so what? He, what yeah, he you said he he said his peak performance was Betty Ross before The Incredible Hulk. So does does he mean that he was a fan of Betty Ross's character before? Banner became the Hulk. I don't yeah, quite maybe, understand maybe, that. Maybe, maybe. I it's funny, I nearly gave that movie a shout out. Um I thought she was great uh in that in that one as well. But um it, it's almost implying that a fan of Betty Ross and I'm not sure. No, I don't know either. Um what else have we got here? Tammy uh went with uh, One Night at McCall's, um opposite John Goodman. Ash went with Arwen in the Fellowship of the Ring. Diana also went Lord of the Rings. And Paddy gave a three, two, one. That thing you do, Incredible Hulk. And peak performance was Empire Records. That's the mailbag. Very good shouts. Shall we move on to our peak performance for this week? Indeed. So every week, Dan and I take turns, choose someone from the movie and TV industry and look back on their career, see what we think was their their best performance. And in light of his recent passing, we thought it appropriate to to really check out Carl Weathers and, and have a look back through his back catalogue and, and pick out a peak performance for Carl Weathers. So what have you got then? All right. Uh, honourable mention. This is a bit of a quirky honourable mention, but it's it's one of my favourite – it's almost kind of a cameo performance. This is where Carl Weathers plays himself in Arrested Development. And he basically sells his services as like a an acting coach. And he's always right. trying to like sign people up to like, you know – programs and you know try to teach them like you know like stage combat and stuff like that and every time like he he's only in two episodes in season one he's in one episode in season two and then he kind of reappears for one episode in in season four but he always got like there's something just great 
and this is this is kind of the same for me in the Barry movie. Um, like when you kind of have these like older actors, like you know, like Fon, like Henry Winkler, who was Fonzie in Happy Days, is like just kind of appearing in these movies. Kind of, this is a bit different because he's kind of hit the car with this is playing himself. But I just thought it's such a great kind of almost wall breaking, wacky experience. Kind of like oh, he's kind of old school Hollywood. Like you could kind of see someone like I'm, I, I need a few bucks to kind of get this going, and I'm trying to sell my craft. And I just it always brought a lot of joy. But I think for me, absolute peak performance. I'm a big fan of the Rocky movies and Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed, such a a fantastic character, advocate, adversary to um, Sylvester Stallone's Rocky. I love that he kind of got to go on all of the sort of Rocky movie journeys. I love that kind of the the notion of Creed kind of lives on in, in the new new movies. So I just thought he was fantastic in this. He's obviously got a, a great kind of list of action movies under his belt. But for me, the comedy and Arrested Development and then his standout performances in Rocky. Fantastic. I absolutely love uh, when actors play themselves in things but then they play like a souped up version or they just mm, really mm. push the envelope um I'm just, all kinds of them spring to mind but at the moment i'm thinking of um matt leblanc in oh, yeah. episodes and and larry david in Kirby <laughs> enthusiasm yep. it's like it's it's really really satisfying so i imagine that would have been absolutely fantastic a great pick uh for honorable mention for me um the honourable mention for me is a very recent watch, and it, it, it does appear, of course, it will be the final thing he appears in. And that is the Mandalorian, as as Grief Karga. and it, I was just looking down. It seems amazing to me that he was only in nine episodes out of the twenty-five that we've got so far. It felt like he was always there. He was always, mm. you know, bringing Mando in and giving him, you know, some new bounties and. I can still see him. He always had that pose, you know, with his hands on his hips, always looking disappointed with Mando. I feel like he was the one who gave Mando the name Mando. I may be wrong on that. I felt like it was him who was sort of like would refer to him like that. But I just found him really, really convincing, really great, you know, in that role opposite Din, the Mandalorian. Mm. I thought he was just, I thought he looked really good. And this is why, you know, he just looks so, so good in this. And uh, he just, he does not look to be a man of his years at all. And um, I just, yeah, absolutely love those performances. I thought he was really effective, um, you know, between him, Grogu and, and Mando. I just thought he was a really perfect foil there. So that's my honorable mention. Uh, the peak performance though, for me, is actually 1987's The Predator as as Dylan um, the CIA agents um, operating in South America um, and his relationship on screen with, with Schwarzenegger's Dutch was just really, really tangible because you could feel the tension. I mean, you know, this Carl Weathers got to be opposite, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in terms of big action heroes of, of the eighties and nineties. He really did go there and, I love his character journey in this. I love how he sacrifices himself, you know, to hold off the predator while Dutch and the guys, um, you know, have the opportunity to escape. You know, he really took one for the team there. Um, the line, I always, whenever anyone's called Dylan, I always think of predator and I always immediately think of that Schwarzenegger, Dylan, you son of a bitch. You know, Dylan is 
Carl Weathers for me. So that's my pick for for people. That's a that's a great shout. I weirdly I get the same thing from Rocky, but this is Sylvester Stallone screaming at Adrian. So whenever I think everyone oh, anyone yeah. called Adrian, Adrian, like when he's like you know calling out for her from the the ring when his eyes normally half hanging out of his head. Those are some great shouts. It will be sad not to see uh, Carl Weathers in. Um, I guess the next season of The Mandalorian and whatever they do mm. with this movie. Yeah. In fact, I'm not even clear, Paul. Are we getting another season and a movie, or is it just a movie? Well, it's disappointing that you're not clear because I, if you're not, I certainly am not. I believe we're we are getting that fourth season because that's what I think we we're promised. But when you look at it online now, it actually doesn't tell you anything. It has it's got episode four point one as a picture. But it hasn't got anything beneath it. But my understanding is, is that we've got a fourth season and then the movie, but I could very well be wrong. Mm, mm, interesting times. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. does indeed. Thank you, as always, for listening in. Do let us know uh, your peak performance for Car Weathers. And if you've got anything you'd like to ask us or comment on that we've talked about, do get in touch at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, make sure you have watched Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Prime Video before our next week's episode so that you too can listen into the review and not have any spoilers. Um, but in the meantime, a special thanks to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon of the Half Measures podcast, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios. Adios.